You're listening to Heartland Politics with Robin Johnson, a presentation of WVIK Quad Cities NPR. to the Heartland Politics Show and Podcast, which is aired on and distributed by WVIK Quad Cities NPR. WVIK is the flagship public radio station in the Quad Cities region of Northwestern Illinois and Eastern Iowa. This is your host, Robin Johnson. And on today's show, we're continuing interviews with Republican candidates for president leading up to Monday's all-important Iowa caucuses. My guest today is Nikki Haley, who served two years as ambassador to the United Nations. She also served two terms as governor of South Carolina. I'll also speak with a prominent Eastern Iowa supporter of Ambassador Haley. She's State Senator Chris Knoyer. We begin with Nikki Haley. Ambassador Haley, welcome to Heartland Politics. Thank you for having me. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well, and and welcome to Iowa again. I know you're busy campaigning and uh, leading up to the Iowa caucuses here uh, in a couple weeks. Uh, the issue I wanted to start with, Ambassador, is the immigration issue. It's caught up now in negotiations over additional funding for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. And you've shown some pragmatism in addressing some issues and a willingness to compromise on issues like abortion. Uh, President Reagan did this with Congress on the immigration issue compromise back in the 1980s. What type of framework do you envision uh, if you're elected so we can move forward on this issue? You know, I think it's really important. I did this as governor. I did this as ambassador. It's really important to let the American people know why something is needed. And that's what I feel like is missing is don't just say we have to do this or we have to do that. Give them all the information you know. Tell them why it's important. And that's how you move forward. And so in a situation like this, you know, you've got Congress saying, you know, do we support Ukraine or do we support Israel? Do we support Israel or do we secure the border? That's literally they're lying to you when they say you have to pick. That's a false premise. The truth is you have to look at each of them separately. So if you look at Ukraine, here you had this pro-American, freedom-loving country who was invaded by a thug. And for people who say, why should we care about Ukraine? I saw at the UN, dictators, thugs, and terrorists always tell you what they're going to do. They're very transparent. You know, Hamas said they were going to take Israel. They did. China said they were going to take Hong Kong. We watched it. Russia said they were going to take Ukraine. It happened. China says Taiwan is next. We better believe them. Russia said once they take Ukraine, Poland and the Baltics are next. Those are NATO countries, and that puts us at war. This is about preventing war. When you tell the American people this is about preventing war, they get it. But that's only 3.5% of our defense budget. That's it. Then you go and you look at Israel. And the situation with Israel is, one, it should be personal to us. We had 33 Americans butchered. We have American hostages now as we speak. But Israel's a bright spot in a tough neighborhood. And they have always been the tip of the spear when it comes to defeating terrorism. And so it's never been that Israel needed America. It's always been that America needed Israel. And so you look at that situation 
and know that when Putin's hit rock bottom, and we know that because he lost 87% of his fighting force that started the war, they've raised the draft age in Russia to 65. They're getting drones from Iran and missiles from North Korea. He knows he's hit rock bottom. Then you have this brutality that happened on October 7th. And when they beheaded those people and burned those babies alive and took those girls from the concert and raped them and dragged their bodies to the streets of Gaza, what did they say? Death to Israel, death to America. Now, that brutality happened on October 7th. October 7th is Putin's birthday. Who's the happiest man in the world right now? Putin. Why? Because the U.S. and the West turned our eyes from Ukraine and started looking at Israel. Putin didn't call Netanyahu. He waited 10 days. You know who he did call? He called Hamas, invited them to Russia. They came to Russia and they held hands and said they were, they were friends. If we supported Ukraine and Israel, that's only 5% of our defense budget. And then when it comes to securing the border, that should be priority number one. Right now, America's acting like it's September 10th. We better remember what September 12th felt like. So we should absolutely secure the border. If we supported Ukraine and supported Israel and secured the border, that's less than 20% of our defense budget. So it's not that the American people have to choose. What we choose is national security. What Congress has to do is remember their job is to protect Americans, prevent war, and focus on national security. And I don't think the American people have had that explained to them. And when I go do any town hall, I go through all of that because the American people deserve to know. And two, then then they can help make good decisions. So look, I, I think that one of the things I always did was I over-communicated as governor. I over-communicated as ambassador. I'll over-communicate as president because I think that People need to know how their money's being spent and they need to know why it's being spent that way. I, I want to move next to uh, the whole issue of globalization, which has had kind of mixed impact on our, on our region in the country and in Iowa. Along the uh, eastern border here, uh, eastern Iowa border, a lot of globalization's caused a lot of manufacturing uh, plants to shut down. But yet uh, the state's benefited greatly from agriculture. Your state of South Carolina has benefited under your leadership. Uh, a lot of auto plants set up shop, foreign auto plants shut up shop in South Carolina. How do we how do we kind of balance this out, uh, Ambassador, where we, we can it seems like um, with China, for example, that they blatantly cheat a lot. And I don't think that's too strong a language to use. Uh, how do we balance this out where we can be fair to our uh, producers in the United States, but also take advantage of opportunities overseas to uh, sell our products? Well, I actually think that's the job of a president. You know, you have to I look at the situation in Iowa now and China's our number one national security threat. And you do have a lot of Iowan businesses and farmers that do business with China. Well, they shouldn't worry because what a president should do. It's not that we don't want to deal with foreign direct investment or trade, we want it, but we want to do it with our friends. And so that's the reason why we work closer with India, with South Korea, with Japan, with Australia, with New Zealand, with Israel, with the Philippines. And we move all this business that's going to China now. 
That's the role of a president is move that trade to friendly countries and do more of it. A president's supposed to sell the products we make in America out. And when you do that, then there's never an issue of, oh, what if China pulls the rug out from under us? You get in front of it so that it's never even an option. India just gave themselves a billion dollar um, stimulus to become less dependent on China. Japan did the same thing. Those are two great countries to start having Iowans do business with. And a president can facilitate that. And so the best way to look at globalization and which countries should invest or you should do trade with is you look at it from a national security lens. If it in any way threatens Americans, threatens our safety, threatens our economy, threatens us from a intelligent situation or intellectual property situation, you don't do it. But you do it with all the other countries that are friendly. And that's how you make it work for you. But you also sell our products out to the world. You know, I think that's hugely important. You've got so many of our um, medicines are made in China. You know, when we had COVID, they told you to put on a mask. It was made in China. They gave you a test. It was made in China. We have to focus on what does it take to not do that? Yes, we could go and and move that to India. That's one thing. But we have one company in Bristol, Tennessee, U.S. Antibiotics. They make amoxicillin, the number one antibiotic right now. And do you know our government doesn't buy any amoxicillin from that Bristol, Tennessee company? They buy it from China. Why would we not try and help our American companies? Because that's going to make them want to make more. U.S. medicines. So it's just common sense. It's really about doing what's right for the country from a national security perspective and from an economic perspective. A lot of folks, farmers in our region, are anticipating the outcome of the Farm Bill, which we're still operating under the 2018 Farm Bill, which was just uh, extended for a year this past year uh, in the next year. Um, what's your take uh, as a governor of the southern state who has somewhat of a different agriculture economy, similar in some ways, but different in others? And, and now you're up here uh, in Iowa learning more about that and experiencing this, our farm, farm economy. What's your thoughts on, on the farm bill and how it should be shaped? And should we look at any reforming any of the current programs and subsidies we have in place for uh, like ethanol, for example? Well, I think that, you know, even though we produce different ag products in our states, the core of an agricultural state and what it does to our country is the same. Food security is national security, period. And look, farmers are the ultimate survivors. They can't control the weather. They can't control pricing. And so government needs to be a partner with our farmers. And in order to be a partner, you help them, whether it's research, whether it's technology, and you keep the mandates off of them. Stop putting these mandates, whether it's on water and ponds and all these other things, and start looking at how you can make them more efficient, more effective without all of the regulations. That's the biggest part is, you know, we see so much. We've got to get the EPA out of the way. Right now, they care more about sagebrush lizards than they care about whether we can afford our utility bill. But if we do that, we want to look at the farm bill in a way that it's a partnership, that it's a business arrangement, but it's also a national security issue. You look right now, you see China stealing our seed technology. You see the fact that they bought the largest pork producer in the country right here in Iowa. These are all items of why you have to get closer to your farmers. 
so that we can start figuring out how we always have food security and we never worry about that. And we want to look at how we export more of our um, agricultural products out to the rest of the world because that helps our economy in the process. So the farm bill needs to be looked at through that lens. And I don't think it needs to be coupled with a bunch of other things. I think it needs to be focused just on farmers and just on how we support them. When it comes to things like, you know, biofuels and and things like that, we should support the biofuels industry as much as possible. That goes into the same vein as energy. You know, we want to go and make our energy resources an economic powerhouse. We should be able to export that out too. So that's biofuels, that's biodiesels, that's supporting the renewable fuel standard. That's making sure that we're doing everything we can because that only feeds back into our economy. And it also is a national security issue so that we never go hat in hand to Saudi Arabia. We don't get dirty oil from Iran and Venezuela when you start to focus on domestic energy production. We have time for two more quick questions here. Uh, Ambassador Nikki Haley, a former governor of South Carolina running for president, Republican primary coming up here shortly uh, in Iowa. Um, I just read a disturbing article front page uh, of the Wall Street Journal this past week on TikTok again. And I bring this up only because I teach part time and I, I see the impact that TikTok's having on young people. Uh, it may not be the top issue that you hear about in Iowa, but I think it's it's growing in concern from a lot of people. Uh, do you think uh, some people are talking about banning TikTok altogether? Is that something the federal government should get involved with or should this be left to states and localities? Absolutely ban TikTok. It is, that is, again, go back to national security. It is a national security threat. The Chinese Communist Party are tied to TikTok. There is no surprise that when October 7th happened and the Israel situation happened, that you suddenly saw more pro-Hamas videos on there. There's no surprise that shortly after that, you saw the bin Laden letter come out. And then all these young people say, oh, that's why 9-11 happened. No, that's disgusting. There is a reason India just, that India banned TikTok because they said it was causing social unrest in their country. Nepal just did the same thing because it's causing social unrest. They know it's not just TikTok. I saw this at the UN. They know social media is the cheapest form of warfare. And Russia, China, and Iran are using it. North Korea as well, to a certain extent. And that is why, one, we absolutely ban TikTok because we know it's a foreign adversary that's sitting there putting these things out there. But two, we also look at social media in general. All our social media companies need to show us their algorithms. Why do they push what they push? Let the American people see what the algorithms are. And then secondly, social media companies need to let us know what they're doing about their foreign bots. There are a lot of bots that don't have people behind them that are not Americans that are spreading misinformation. We know even in this election right now, we were notified, the presidential candidates were notified that they're all trying to spread misinformation in this election. They, social media companies owe it to us to show us what they're doing to get rid of these foreign bots, because these are millions of messages every day that are going to our kids, that are going to our families, that are trying to divide America. And we don't need to help our adversaries divide America. I will fight for freedom of speech all day long for every single American. I don't want freedom of speech for Russia and Hamas. 
Final question is this, uh, Ambassador Haley, just take this the final couple minutes and just make your closing argument to Iowans. We'll be going uh, to the caucuses here in a, just a couple days, closing out this campaign. What's your closing argument and include what your competitive advantage is over your main rivals uh, for the presidency? Well, we are so excited that we're in countdown mode to the Iowa caucuses. This has been um, great spending so much time in Iowa. Look, I have been a two-term governor that took a double-digit unemployment state and turned it into an economic powerhouse. I was at the United Nations, and I dealt with Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, Israel every single day. I know what it means to negotiate with them. I know what it means to put them in their place. And I know what it means to get them to respect America, because I did that at the UN. But if you look at where we are now, we have a country in disarray and we have a world on fire. And we need to know that the only way we're going to move forward is if we have a new generational leader that leaves the baggage and the negativity behind. That's how we will win. Republicans have lost the last seven out of eight popular votes for president. That's nothing to be proud of. We should want to win the majority of Americans. But to do that, we've got to see this for what it is. And that means that, look, I think President Trump was the right president at the right time. I agree with a lot of his, his policies. But rightly or wrongly, chaos follows him. And we can't be a country in disarray and have the world on fire and go through four more years of chaos. You don't fix Democrat chaos with Republican chaos. Let's go forward and think of what's going to make America better. And if you look at these head-to-heads right now with Biden, every one of them shows Trump and Biden are head-to-head. It's going to be a nail-biter in November. Either way, we're going to end up with one of, you know, an 80-year-old president. I'm in every one of those same general election head-to-head polls. I defeat Biden, Wall Street Journal just said, by 17 points. Do you know what that means? That's bigger than the presidency. That's really getting our country back on track, whether it's governorships, whether it's the House, whether it's the Senate. But more importantly, you go in with a win, with a double-digit win, that's a mandate to get our economy back on track and stop this wasteful spending. That's a mandate to get our kids reading again and get education back to the basics. That's a mandate to secure our border with no excuses. That's a mandate to bring law and order back to our country. And that's a mandate for a strong America that we can all be proud of. That's what I'm trying to do. And I hope your um, listeners will go to NikkiHaley.com. We can do this. We will finish this. It takes a lot of courage to do this. Courage for me to run and courage for everybody in Iowa to know. Don't complain about what happens in a general election if you don't play in this caucus. Nikki Haley, a Republican candidate for president, uh, former governor of South Carolina, former ambassador of the United Nations. Thank you so much for being our guest today on Heartland Politics. Thank you so much. God bless you. And now we hear from one of Ambassador Haley's most prominent supporters in Iowa. She will be familiar to many of our listeners because she represents part of Scott County and resides in LeClaire. She's Chris Knoyer, who represents the 35th District in the Iowa State Senate. She was first elected in 2018 and then re-elected in 2022. She, her district encompasses parts of uh, Scott and Clinton County. Senator, thanks for coming on. I also have a little piece of Jackson County. Oh, okay. Thank you yeah. for adding. <laughs> I shifted north after the last census. Uh, 
Well, there were a lot of good quality candidates running in sports terms. Uh, there was a deep bench, uh, yes. a lot of different types of candidates, different backgrounds. Uh, what went in, take our listeners inside your thinking here of what led you to support Nikki Haley among all these uh, uh, quality candidates? Yeah, well, several years ago, I heard her speak um, at a conference in Des Moines, and I just was very impressed with her. Um, I, she seems like a very pragmatic uh, leader. Uh, she's a problem solver. She's not somebody that sought out politics throughout her lifetime. You know, she went to school to be an accountant to help her, her family business. Um, and, uh, you know, she ran for office because she was um, seeing issues in her government that she didn't like. And, you know, I, I think uh, that resonated with me because I followed a similar path. Um, you know, I have a degree in computer science. I am a small business owner and I ran for school board in 2013 because I saw an issue um, that I saw wasn't being solved um, with the people that were serving there. So um, her her story on how she got into to government to begin with really resonated with me. And I appreciate um, throughout her career as a state legislator, as a uh, the governor of South Carolina, she was somebody that got in there and she pushed back against the status quo. Um, you know, both parties, she wasn't afraid to speak up against her own party um, to make change. And I think, you know, at this point where we are in our country, we need a bold leader, a, a person with courage to be able to push back on the status quo so we can get our country back. And, you know, that that means we need to get our federal government. We need to we need to make it smaller. Um, we need to give power back to the states. We need to get our budget under control. We need to get our southern border um, secured. And then also with her experience as the ambassador to the United Nations, she really impressed me with her strength there and how she represented the United States on the global stage, you know, sitting across the table against, um, you know, hostile adversaries and really showing strength and, and getting our reputation back as a country on the global stage. I think that's so important. So um, I think she has an incredible resume. I think, you know, she has a great um, compassion and empathy. Um, and I just see her as a great leader that our country needs right now um, to lead us um, into the future and not look back into the past. Um, you know, and I, I've seen her at these town halls um, around the, the state, she really has done the work, you know, what we expect in Iowa in terms of retail politics. She's had the town halls. She's answered the questions. You know, she gets in front of a group of people. She stands right smack in the center of the room um, and there is no question she won't answer. So I've been very impressed um, by how uh, well versed she is on the issues that are important to Iowans. Um, and how she answers that question, those questions. And I've seen the response of people in the audience and these crowds that come to her town halls, um, you know, people that, you know, have, have been very disenfranchised by politics in general who have left the party um, because of uh, the dysfunction, um, you know, independents that want to support her in this caucus because they know that we need a strong candidate in November to take our country back. Um, so, I mean, it, it really reassures me that she, appeals to such a wide range of people, which I think is important, um, and that she understands the issues that are important to Iowans and, and people across the country. I was struck by, in, in reading about your background and hers, the similarities, which you touched on a little bit. Uh, yeah. There's also a very uh, common commitment to education, which uh, I'd like you to talk about a little bit because that is such a critical issue. And a lot of folks feel that, you know, on the Republican side, a lot of folks feel, well, you know, the federal government shouldn't get involved in education. That should be a state and local matter. You're former head of a school board. Uh, what, what What's the commonality there as far as both your approaches to education? Well, I think I've heard Ambassador Haley or Governor Haley um, speak at town halls about 
um, sending the federal money to the states and letting us control our, the education of our students. And I 100% support that. Um, you know, as a member of the school board here in Eastern Iowa, I saw the draconian, you know, guidelines and, and um, uh, requirements that we had to abide by in order to receive federal funding. And it was just ridiculous in some cases. And it really tied our hands in many many, many ways. So I think, you know, if they want to send us those block, that money and block grants from the federal government to the states and let us um, decide how to utilize that money to best educate the students in our state, I am completely um, in, in support of that. Um, and, and just think of what we could do with that funding um, with some flexibility to be able to, you know, really invest in what we need to do um, at all levels from, you know, zero five education to preschool funding to make sure our kids are ready for kindergarten to K-12 to make sure kids are getting the skills and education that they need to be successful um, in whatever they do after high school, whether it go to, you know, a two or four year college, go into the military, um, go into an apprenticeship or directly into the workforce. Um, just think of what we could do with that federal funding if we didn't have all the, um, you know, the if we weren't hamstrung with all the draconian rules that come with it. So when she has said that, I have found myself nodding profusely um, with that. And she's mentioned it with other things in terms of healthcare um, and other things that really should be, that control should be returned to the states. Um, you know, a local control thing where, you know, we've got 150 legislators here in the state of Iowa. We represent all 3 million or 3.1 million people here in Iowa. We understand the needs um, of, of what we need for our workforce and what we need for our kids. Um, and that just, that really resonates with me. And I appreciate that she says that. 30 seconds uh, for any undecided caucus goer. Uh, this is the weekend before the caucuses. Uh, what, what's your message to them? Well, my message would be, you know, we, we need to make sure that we support the person in this caucus that can win in November. Um, and when you look at the numbers, the polling numbers, um, Nikki Haley is beating Joe Biden in the double digits. Um, in some polls, it shows her as high as 17 points. And just think of what that can do up and down the ballot. Um, but I think we really need to keep our eye on the prize here. We need to pick the candidate that will best take us into the future without all the baggage. We need a strong leader that is courageous, that will push back, that will, um, you know, really uh, that understands the needs of this country right now and lead us into the future and that can win in November. I think that is so important that we need to pick the person that's not going to drag all the baggage through this next year into November. We need the person that can win, that understands uh, not only what we need here domestically, but also what we need to do to represent ourselves on the federal stage and in terms of education, in terms of um, you know border security, public safety, healthcare, all of those things. Um, Nikki Haley is the strong, bold leader that we need. She's a compassionate leader. And I think that she's the right fit for our country right now. And I hope that people will join me on, no on January 15th to caucus for her and then again, support her in November. Senator Chris Kenoyer from uh, the 35th District right here in Partlet Park in Scott County. Thank you so much for being our guest today.
You're listening to Heartland Politics with Robin Johnson, a presentation of WVIK, Quad Cities, NPR.